Well, good morning, church family. How's everyone doing this morning? You awake? I'm running on adrenaline right now after VBS this week, but man, it was so good. So good. So great to be with you here in this capacity. Normally, I'm here on a Sunday morning, but I don't always get the opportunity to preach, so I'm very thankful to our pastor. He's given me this opportunity uh, as he is away this morning up at Brentwood. I'm just excited um, as he is, uh, he kicked off our, our new series last week of Why We Gather and did a wonderful job of unpacking why we gather, packing God's word about why we gather to pray. And so this is just a, 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 great, a great series for a lot of reasons. Um, it's a great series for somebody that's new in the faith to understand why we do what we do, but it's also a great uh, series for those who have been walking with the Lord for a while to be reminded about why we do what we do on a weekly basis. Sometimes we get in so much in a rut and a routine that we forget why we do what we do, and so it's great to, to be reminded of that uh, in Scripture. But before I go any further, man, like, what, what an amazing set this is for, yeah, let's give a shot, shout out to our uh, Taylor Johnson, Pastor Taylor and his team, man, they just do a, a wonderful job. I think, I, I say this in all accuracy, this is the first time that Scripture has ever been read or sung from a switch, Right? <laughs> And that, that's pretty amazing, and that sermon notes have been on a switch, so I'm excited about that. The only thing that would top this off, though, would be great if, if somebody came out dressed in a Bowser costume and sat at that piano and started singing Peaches. Wouldn't that be great? And if I were really talented, I would do that. Peaches, pe- no, or preach it, preach it, preach it. No, no, just, anyway, that's all I'm going to give you. That's all I got. That's good times, but I'm excited. Now, how many of you all spent any time, any amount of time, doesn't mean a lot of time, but any amount of time in church as a kid. Raise your hand. Let me see you. And if you didn't, that's fine too. But if you did, okay, so there's a handful of you in here, a good number of you. Uh, I grew up in church. I can't remember a time in, in my life where our family didn't go to church. Uh, we went to a couple different churches growing up just because we moved to different places and, and whatnot. And one of the churches we spent a lot of time at when I was a kid is the First Baptist Church of Orlando. Um, it's a real big church, like Six Flags Over Jesus, um, a lot of things going on in there, a big choir, big orchestra, all that stuff. And I could always count on the, 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 the same experience in a lot of ways. You know, you, you pull in and there was always a big traffic jam to get into the church and you get there, you get out of your car, you walk in, you walk in the door and there's always somebody there to greet you with a smile. That was the front door or the outside door. And then you go in to the inside and there were people standing by the doors uh, there as you walk into the sanctuary and they'd hand you a, a bulletin. Everybody got a bulletin. There was always a bulletin there. So we all got that. And then you'd sit down and you'd wait for the service to start. And when the service starts, someone would kick it off. Uh, they'd pray. They'd say, welcome. And then they would say, hey, turn around and find somebody you know or maybe you don't know and shake their hand and let them know you're happy to see them today. Anybody ever do that when you were at church? That was that, that, that greeting. Now, as a kid, I'm always told, don't talk to strangers, right? And in a big church like First Orlando, I mean, you would sit next to people, maybe you remembered them from the week before, or you knew them in other contexts, but a lot of times there was completely different people and they were strangers, but we were told to shake hands with strangers, so we did that. And then when that was done, uh, we, we'd sing out of uh, the hymnal, right? There was hymnal in, in, the, in the pew in front of us, and we'd use that because back in the day, I'm aging myself. We didn't have screens with words or anything like that, so we read out of the hymnal and did all that, and then we'd sit down, 
and the, the choir and orchestra would do an anthem. And like I said, this church was six flags over Jesus. I think there was like three or 400 people in the choir. I mean, it was massive and you had an orchestra and they would do the thing and it didn't matter what the anthem was. It didn't matter what the anthem was because they could be singing it as well as my soul as the anthem. But somewhere at the end of that anthem, they would, the, the worship pastor would turn around and they would always sing how great thou art and everybody in the church would stand up. It was like the Baptist version of the hallelujah chorus, right? It was like, you know, that was the big thing. And I always remember that. I could always count on that. And that's why one of my favorite hymns today is How Great Thou Art, I think, is because we sing it every single Sunday. But then once the anthem was over, it'd sit down, and then Brother Jim would get up, and he'd start preaching from the Bible. And just full disclosure, as a little boy, that was my least favorite time in the service, right? Because he's getting up there, and he's talking for like 25, 30 minutes, maybe even more. And I have to sit still. Be quiet, don't squirm, don't do anything. Like, and, and for a kid like me, you know the energy that I have now as an adult, you can only imagine what it was like when I was a kid. And so that was tough for me. And, and it wasn't that I didn't like the Bible, it didn't, wasn't that I didn't like preaching, but just sitting still. But here's the catch, and this is, I don't know, and this is probably at every church you went to, but a lot of times it was there. There was invariably some folks sitting around us, anywhere in the church, and it was always a silver-haired lady Silver-haired lady sitting there, and I knew she was watching me during the service. And it wasn't always the same one. And if I was good and I didn't cut up, I knew I was going to get something out of the carpet bag that she was carrying to church that morning. There was going to be a mint or there was going to be a coloring book. I mean, seriously, it was like Mary Poppins' carpet bag. She'd pull stuff out and it would be a bag of candy or something. And here you go for being good. So that was an incentive for me to be good while I was sitting in church. But it wasn't until I was in the student ministry, and I remember our student pastor was going through a study in the book of James. And I remember, for whatever reason, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the light went on in me. And it made me realize, man, as he was going through the whole book of James, and we're talking about things that are like, man, this is so like practical and relevant. And it wasn't like the sermons that I heard before weren't. But for whatever reason, for that time in my life, that's when it all clicked. And then I realized, I was like, man... So the stuff that Brother Jim is saying on Sunday morning is really important, and I really need to lean into that. And that made me at that point, now I never thought, even at that, and it wasn't until I was in college that I was feeling a call in the ministry, but I never dreamed in a million years at that age that I would ever be standing up here preaching myself. But it was at that time in my life that I really started to fall in love with the art of preaching. And just not because of, of getting up there and doing it, but just because I knew that was such an important time in our time of gathering. And, and it, it's not saying it's, you know, I love worship and all that stuff, but I really, really, really love hearing God's word proclaimed in, in, in a way that I can understand it. And so that's why I'm excited that I get to do this part uh, of this series of why we gather and we gather to preach the word of God. So I'm going to ask you to join me in standing and we're going to read out of the, the book of Romans chapter 10 and we're going to read verses 8 through 15 together. Let's read this. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. 
For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14 says, how? How then can they call on him who have, they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing from him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how clear it is. Thank you for how sufficient it is, authoritative it is, and necessary. And God, as we lean into that today, Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, you help me not to get in the way of the message, but God, that you would use me as a vessel to proclaim exactly what it is that you want to be proclaimed in this moment. God, I also pray against the enemy. I pray you bind his hands. He has no dominion in this church. We are your church. We are your people. We want to hear from you so that we can be transformed to live a life to bring honor and glory to you. And Lord, I pray right now that you let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight because you are our rock and our redeemer. And we love you so much, Jesus, and we give you the honor and glory for it's in Christ's name that we pray. And the family of God said, amen. You may be seated. Now, if you had a chance to download the, the outline for the sermon this morning, uh, I've got notes in there, and you'll see in there we're going to use an acronym that every good Southern Baptist boy and girl that went to seminary learned in systematic theology um, from Wayne Grudem, and it's the SCAN acronym. And I'm going to use that today as our outline and use the passage of Scripture that we're going through today to, to illustrate that and to, uh, as we unpack it. And so the outline is called SCAN, S-C-A-N, and it stands for this. S is for sufficiency, C is for clarity, A is for uh, authority, and N is for necessity. And so we're going to bounce around in this passage of Scripture in Romans 10 as we talk about that. So the first point, straightforward, is we gather to preach God's word because it's sufficient, because it's sufficient. And let's go back to verse 14. Because here's one of the things, as we lean into this idea that God's word is sufficient for everything in life, that all the answers to all the most pertinent issues in life are found in God's word. And I know some of you are sitting there thinking, well, it didn't tell me what, God's word didn't tell me exactly what car to buy. Maybe not, but God's word informed you in how you should approach buying a car. I guarantee it, if you're leaning in to God's word. So it is sufficient. But let's go back as we're looking in this passage of scripture of, of Romans chapter 10. This is a passage of scripture that Paul, it's Paul's letter to the church at Rome. And they're speaking to Israel's rejection. It's talking about Israel's rejection of the gospel and the importance of proclaiming the gospel and having people to proclaim the gospel. That even though people reject and push back on the truth, they still need to hear the truth, right? And people still need access to hearing the truth. And so he was encouraging the church to not, not grow faint, not go uh, step back, but continue to push forward and proclaim the good news of the gospel. When you look at verse 14, you see, and it speaks to the sufficiency of, of going and sharing the message. How then can they call on him, him being Jesus, they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? Like it's so important that, that anyone who is in Christ really 
lives out the gospel message, that lives out the truth from God's word. And Paul is like, how will they hear without, uh, without there being someone? How can they hear with, how can they believe without hearing about him, talking about Jesus? And how can they hear without someone that will go and preach? You know, and a lot of times we see that as preacher, the office of pastor and all that stuff, and we relegate it down to that. But I would submit to you that it's not a, just a call for necessarily the pastor, but for all of us who are in Christ, we have a message, and we'll get to that towards the end of the service. And how can they preach unless they are sent, mobilized? A lot of times this passage of scripture is used to spur on or as a backdrop to, to missions, right? Global missions, local missions, or whatever. But I would submit again that all of us in Christ are on mission for the glory of God and to share the message of the word of God because it is sufficient. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says this, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Now, if you got the outline there on your phone or on your tablet, you'll notice I have some supplemental scriptures to further illustrate what we're talking about here. So you, can, you don't have to necessarily write these down, but you can have them there for future reference. But I love even Peter. In 2 Peter, when he's, he's writing to believers and encouraging believers, notice what he says. He says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, I'm going to read this. But see what he says when he's talking about encouraging believers. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal privilege with ours, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God. An importance about knowing who God is through the knowledge of God. And he goes on to say, in our Lord Jesus Christ, his divine power has given us everything required for life. And godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You see the importance of God's word there. God's word is how we know God intimately. When it talks about knowledge in the New Testament or in the Old Testament, it's talking about intimacy. It's talking about complete, being fully acquainted with. Not just knowledge in the background that's far off that that's not really relevant to your life, but it's an intimate knowledge that changes you and shapes you in every way, shape, and form. That it's not just uh, uh, impacts your life in just a little way, but it's consuming. Because the Bible teaches that Jesus is a consuming fire. I love back in the day, third day. Anybody remember third day? Yeah, I'm showing my age. Mac Powell, man, and the, he is a consuming fire, and his, that fire that burns deep down in our soul because he is that consuming fire, and we want people to know who he is. He goes on in verse four, and he says, by these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may share in a divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. There are promises, there are things in God's word that we need to know to live by. So when we're walking through life and we know that life is not easy, there are storms, there are challenges that we go through. But the testimony of scripture is when we lean into those promises of God, it carries us through those times in our lives that are challenging. It carries us through those places that seem insurmountable. But then we're like, no, wait, but I know what God's word says. And even though I can't see that reality around me right now, I'm going to lean on the promises because I know God. The sufficiency of scripture leads us to that place of knowing God's character, his nature. But not only does God's word sufficient for us knowing about him, but it also tells us about who we are, who we are. 
Let's go on to the next point. And then we gather to preach God's word because it is clear. It is clear. And I added a little sub note, accessible. It is clear. Romans 10, verse 8. Paul is reading here, but he's also quoting an Old Testament passage that we'll unpack here in just a moment. He says this in verse 8 of chapter 10. He says, on the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. This is the truth. This is what we proclaim. This message from God, about God, for God, about us, for his glory. And that message is not something far off. Why can I say that? And why can I say that it's clear? The same passage that Paul is quoting there in Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 8, he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30. If you want to um, roll over there, you can. Or if you want to just tack on the link on your, your tablet or iPad, you can go there. But this is what it says. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11 through 14. This command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. And I know he's talking about a specific command there, but I think it speaks to the broader sense of scripture. Certainly not too difficult or or beyond your reach. Is it not in heaven so that you have to ask who will go up to heaven and get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it? And is it not across the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it for us, proclaim it to us so that we may follow it? And here it is, but the message is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart so that you may follow it. Remember, you are created in the image of God. God is not some God that's far away off in the distance, but he's there, he's near. He wants you to know who he is. The challenge comes because we put so many things, obstacles in our own life through the choices that we have made to, to, to draw us in confusion or draw us from a place where we, we feel far away from God. But the reality is, and I always love the illustration, is that God may seem far off, but he's right behind us just waiting for us, our posture to shift and to turn to him and submit to him and his authority in our lives. It's vitally important that we recognize that he is there and wants us and he wants to move in us and he wants to shape us. The message is clear. In Isaiah 55, 11, he's just as God talking through the prophet Isaiah, and this is what he says. He says, so my word, the word of God that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. This is why it's so important. It's sufficient, but yet it's clear. And I often, and I know what you're thinking. You're like, yeah, it's clear until you get to Revelation or until you get to Leviticus and Numbers. Like Pastor Jay says, the Bible reading plan dies at Leviticus and Numbers. You know, but the reality is, and this is, I believe this wholeheartedly, and the power of the Holy Spirit has got to be involved in this. But when we have a posture of really seeking God in his word to know him for who he is, for his glory and for his glory alone, I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, he illuminates that so us to be able to understand that better. I think the challenge comes is when we approach God's word because we have a personal agenda or we're trying to to cherry pick things out of scripture that that line up with the lifestyle that we want to live or promote when we get in trouble. But if we humbly come before God and we're, we're leaning into him and asking him, like even like in that moment, you're reading a passage of scripture that you don't understand. Then you sit there and say to God, Lord, help me. I am, I am foggy here. I don't get it here. 
And, and I believe that posture, that position, God through the, his Holy Spirit reveals truth through his word. And it might not be like you pray at one time and you're like, well, it didn't happen overnight. It might be a journey that he wants to take you on. That might be your entire life. It might be a month or week or it might be overnight. But you're going, God doesn't want to be ambiguous. God doesn't want to be confusing. God wants to move and shape us. He wants to make himself known to us. And that's why he's given us his word. And that's why we preach his word. Thirdly, we gather to preach God's word because it's authoritative. It's authoritative. Now, specifically, how this chapter in Romans that we're going through, Romans chapter 10, I believe this passage of scripture speaks to the authority in the area of salvation. It's authoritative about salvation. People are asking, how, how can you come to know faith? How does, one, how does one get right with God? How can we be one with God? How can we be in good standing with God? Now, this isn't the only passage of scripture that speaks to salvation, is it? No. I would argue that the full counsel, the entire word of God speaks to the reality of our depravity, God's goodness, his redemption plan, and our roadmap to know who God is personally and have a relationship with him. That's the whole counsel of the Bible. And this is one place where the authority of Scripture rings through in the area of salvation. Look at verse 9 of chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Paul says you will be saved. Now, obviously, we know that the Holy Spirit has got to be at work in this too, but that's the reality. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He goes on to say, one believes with his heart, with the heart, resulting in righteousness, the one, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all riches, uh, all richly blessed blesses all who call on him. Verse 13, here it is. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, period. It doesn't say you got to do this extra or you got to do this extra or you got to do that. It's through a posture of submission, of recognizing your need of, uh, of salvation and calling on him as your redeemer, your rescuer, your sin bearer. That's what is required for salvation. Now, I will say this. Anytime in scripture you see the word believe, there, it's not easy believism like is so prevalent in our culture. When they talked about belief here, that was belief unto transformation. That was a belief that transformed your mind and your thinking and your perspective on life. Because for them, for someone to say back in the day, well, I believe in something, but they would rapidly depart in what they say they believe and how they live their life, that was basically saying whatever they say they believe really isn't true because they're not living by it. And so the reality is, if we believe, as the Bible talks about this, call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. That's a testimony of Scripture. We know that from Scripture. Psalm 119.89 says this, Lord, you, your word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. You go back to another Old Testament passage where uh, Moses is encouraging Joshua. Joshua's taking the mantle right? And, and, and Joshua, in the book of Joshua, we see Joshua's ch- taking a new, a new role, a new role. And what does it say? In Joshua 1, chapter 8, he says, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night so that you may uh, carefully observe everything written in it. 
for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Why? Because God's word, what he says is authoritative. That it's not just suggestions in God's word, but they are commands. It's authoritative. We align ourselves with it because that's the only way to do it. Because it's his word. It's not ours. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he says, this is Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. This is what he says. He says, this is why we constantly thank God because when you received the message about God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message. Not as a human message, but as it truly is the message of God, which also works effectively in you believers. It's God's word. That's why we preach from God's word here at the church at Station Hill and every single one of our Brentwood campuses. Yeah, we'll bring other things in. I'll talk about that in just a moment from time to time. But the foundation, the foundation of our message is found in nothing else but God's word. I love also Wayne Grudem says this about scripture. He says, scripture is the highest and supreme authority on any matter on which it speaks. The Bible speaks on everything, everything. There's so many things that I don't have enough time today to go through everything the Bible speaks to. But on this matter today we're looking at too, it speaks on salvation. It's got authority on that. It speaks on relationships. It it speaks on how we should manage our resources. It speaks how we should treat one another, how we should view one another. It speaks on all this stuff. And it's not just easy, good feeling life coaching uh, lessons. It's authority. It's the word of God. It's what he says. It's not up for optional debate whether we want to do it or not. We got to get on board and do with it, do it because it's him who says it. Lastly, but certainly not least, we gather to preach God's word because it's necessary. Let's go back to verse 10 and 11 to further illustrate this. Because again, it's necessary. Why? Because he says, one who believes with his heart resulting in righteousness and one confess is with his mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew or Greek because the same Lord of all, has all richly blessed all who call on him and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's necessary that that message go out because he is the only lifeline. We've got nothing else to offer folks than Jesus. And that all the good deeds and the works that we do overflow from the reality of who Christ is in us as a body. That we don't do good things out in the community for the sake of doing good things. We do good things out in the community because of what Christ has done in us. And we want the world to know that we're living not for ourselves but for him. And we want other people to know him and see him as he is. And we've all been called to that. It's not up for debate. But another passage of scripture to illustrate the necessity of scripture is 2 Timothy And if you spent any time in in the church, 2 Timothy chapter 3, you recognize it. It's used a lot. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17 says this, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. We do everything based on what the Bible teaches. We do with everything how the Bible instructs so that we can be equipped for every good work. Man, woman are equipped for every good work because of what God's word says. That's our directive, that's our manual, that's that's our marching orders. Timothy Ward wrote a book called The Word of Life, Scripture as the Living and Active Word of God. And he talks about this, about the necessity of scripture. I'm gonna read this quote. 
He says this, necessity sits right at the heart of the ways in which sola scriptura, scripture alone is what that means, is clarified and defended. If scripture alone is claimed to be the supreme authority in Christian thinking and living, that is because both its content, the verbal revelation of scripture, and its form, the written scriptures, are indispensable. This isn't just an option. This is the foundation. It's this book, why we sing the songs in which we sing. It's found in this book, why we live the way we live, why we love the way we love. I wouldn't know about my necessity for a redeemer apart from the truth that's found in this book. I wouldn't understand my depravity. The culture's definitely not pointing to our depravity. The culture says we're born good and then the, the, the culture erodes on us. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we all have sinned and fallen short of glory of God. We're born into sin and we need a redeemer. That's not my words, that's God's words. Sola Scriptura, another theologian said this, Sola Scriptura simply means that all truth necessary for our salvation and spiritual life is taught either explicitly or implicitly in Scripture. All the answers right here. That's why on a Sunday morning, you will never, ever, ever, ever hear anybody from this pulpit have you stand up in honor of the reading of the word of something else. Every single Sunday, we start with that because it's this that we base our truth. It's this that we base our foundation on. It's God's word is what we preach. Yeah, we'll bring quotes in. I just did, right? We do all that stuff, but the foundation of our message is found in the word of God. That's why we gather to preach the word of God because it's so important. It's so necessary. So it's sufficient. It's clear, hash, accessible. It's authoritative and it's necessary. So if that's the truth and that's what we believe as a body, as a church, how should we approach when we come to, to church on Sundays? Or any time that we gather where the word is going to be preached or taught, how should we come? I'm glad you asked that question because I got three takeaways for you, okay? You ready? Here we go. We got four minutes and 40 seconds. We will still beat the Methodists to lunch. All right. Here we go. First takeaway. First takeaway is this. Come expecting, longing to hear from God. When you enter into this place, there's been a lot of prayer, a lot of preparation, a lot of planning, a lot of studying that God has laid on our hearts so that you can know God and not only know him, but make him known when you leave here. Our pastor tells us every week you're loved and you're sent. Come expecting to hear a word from God. And I know if you're anything like me, there's been some Sundays, even though I'm on staff here, I'm a pastor here, I'm like, man, I'm just not feeling it today. I don't want to go today. But I have no choice because it's my job. But I'm glad I come because when I come, I'm inspired because I come even pushing through that fleshly desire of not wanting to, I push through that and know I'm coming because I'm going to hear from not only God's messenger and our pastor from his word, but his people. And I'm thankful for that. And I also get an opportunity to pour in and speak life into others. Psalm 63.1 says, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. Second takeaway. You come to this and test what you hear. Test what you hear. Now, this is where it puts it on you a little bit. 
Because you can't test what you hear unless you know God's word. And, and I say this, and I believe Jay would say the same thing. You need to test what we, what we say. Because the reality is, we've got nothing to say to you other than what the Bible teaches. But it's important for you to know, because there are often, and it's not here at our church, but there's oftentimes you'll see people stand up under the, the umbrella of a preacher of the word of God, and they got a lot of extra things to say in addition to that don't always line up with scripture. So I think it's important for us as a body to test, test the spirits, test what we hear. But you've got to do your homework. You've got to know God's word. And here's the coolest thing. One of the greatest compliments you could ever give a preacher or a pastor is weeks after they've preached the message and you're reading through the word of God and something that you're reading in God's word kind of spurred in your mind something you heard in a message a couple weeks ago and you come back and you say, man, I was reading God's word and what you said a couple weeks ago about X, Y, and Z, man, it was just so cool how God brought that together. That's so cool. That's so affirming to us because again, Pastor Jay, myself, Pastor Brandon, anybody, all we're preaching God's word and we want you to know God's word and we want you to make sure that things that are coming out of our mouth line up with what that word says. Third and final, and this is a big one, but know that the sermon, that you have a sermon to preach. Now I know some of you might never give up here on the platform and preach a sermon on Sunday morning. Some of you might never get up in a classroom and teach a Bible study or whatnot. But here's the reality, because if you are in Christ, because of your relationship with Jesus, you have a message to preach. You have a message to preach in your home. You have a message to preach at your workplace, at your school. You have a message to preach in your neighborhood. You have an opportunity because God knows that he strategically placed you in that family, in that workplace, in that neighborhood, in that supermarket, wherever it may be so that you get an opportunity to brag on Jesus to somebody that we'll never meet, that people at your church may never meet, but God's given you the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is not like you're getting up and slapping them over the head with the Bible. You might, if the Lord leads you to do that, great, go ahead and do it. But the reality is how you live your life. Because if you say you're a believer and you say you're a Christian and the Bible says live this way, but then you live another way, there's a disconnect there. And that's why it's so important. We've got to know the word of God so that our lives are in alignment with the word of God. So the message that we preach and how we live our life is not contrary to that. You've got a message to preach. First Peter chapter three, verse 15 says this, but in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. Be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. I'll close with this. A few weeks ago, my family and I had an opportunity to be uh, to go down to Disney World and uh, and do all the fun things. And there's this new ride at the Magic Kingdom called Tron. And you can't just waltz into the park and stand in line for the ride Tron. You have to get in this virtual queue. And if you're lucky enough or fortunate enough, you get in the virtual queue, and then you have access to the line to wait for two hours and and ride the ride. Now. There's this, there's this phenomenon, I haven't done any research on it, but it almost is like this thing. If you get the virtual queue for Tron or any other ride that has a virtual queue, you feel like you're in this club all of a sudden. And like the people you're in line with, you feel like you got something in common. Like we, we got up early at seven o'clock in the morning and we got into this ride or we paid $30 to get into the ride or whatever. You feel like you're in this club. So you're like, hey, it just seems to be a little bit more friendly in the line there. I don't know what it is. That could be just me, but follow me here. 
So my wife and I are over there um, that day. We got the virtual queue. We're in line uh, to ride the ride. And we got to just talking to this guy. And this guy happened to be from Wales. And we got to talking. And I don't know if it was because we were wearing our celebration little pin that they give you at Disney. Or we got to talking about marriage or something. He said, so how long have you guys been married? And I said, 22 years. And he's like, whoa, 22 years in his, you know, Whaleish accent, and he said, that's a record, isn't it? And I said, well, I mean, I don't know. He's like, yeah, man, because what we hear over there about marriage over here, that, that, that marriages don't last that long anymore. And I said, well, and of course, everything goes into slow motion. I'm like, okay, God, here we go. And, and I just said, we, we're, we're Christ followers. We put Jesus in the center of our, our heart and home and marriage, and it's because of him that, that we've been married this long. And he says, I'm a Christian too. So, and I was, I was like, okay, man, cool. Um, but to him, being from Wales, there's no such thing as cultural Christianity. Like, they live in a big city, and there's only a couple hundred people that he says that, that he would call believers. And so we got to sit there, and we got to talk, and it was just a moment of encouraging one another. And again, it's because... He had a message to preach, and I had a message to preach in that moment. And it was a brag on Jesus moment where we were able to encourage each other. And that's why we do. We've got a message to preach. But we can't preach something that we don't know. We can't preach something that we don't believe or align with because there's a disconnect. But we get an opportunity through the power of the Holy Spirit to be on board to preach the word of God in word and in deed. So I want to give us an opportunity to respond right now. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. Just like this week, and just like we just preached about specifically looking at the authority of Scripture to salvation, we gave kids an opportunity to respond to the gospel because they heard, they gathered and they heard clearly the, the importance of the gospel and their need for a Savior. And we made it really simple for them, and I think it needs to be very simple for us. Simple as ABC, it's admitting you're a sinner and repenting from that. Believe who Jesus is, what he did on the cross, he rose again three days later, and then confess him as Lord. And if you're in this room today and you've never made that step, I pray that you're able to join the 26 other kids this week that made that decision to follow Jesus just by admitting your need for him of redemption because of your sin, believing in who he is, that he is the only answer for it and has the plans for it to bring you back to himself and to confess him as Lord. The testimony of scripture, if that's a real desire in your heart and you submit to him in that way, that you've called on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. It's an opportunity that many of us in here have taken an an opportunity to respond, but we want to make sure everyone has that opportunity. So in the quiet of your seat right now, I want to give you that space to do that. Maybe you're in here and you're already a Christ follower and God's just doing work in your life. I don't know specifically to what degree and what he's doing and what he's saying, but maybe there's some business you need to do with the Lord today. I invite you into this space right now to talk to him, confess to him, Let them know your need. Let them hear your heart.
He knows it anyway. He wants to hear it. Just take a few moments right now and spend with the Lord. thank you thank you for your word we wouldn't have any clue apart from it but God you've given it to us you've given it to us clearly to help us to know our need for you and you offered a plan in a way and that's clearly in there so Lord I pray that we live our lives according to that that, Lord, that those of us that are in you will align ourselves with the teachings of your word, will make ourselves available to the teachings of your word when we gather at church on Sunday or when we're spending a time at home alone. God, I pray that you work. God, thank you for uh, just all the things that you're doing in us and among us. We give you all the honor and glory, Jesus. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.